Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Shooting the Sports Podcast with Ebony and Ivory. My name's Jonathan. I'm the Ebony. And my name's Nick, and I'm the Ivory. Welcome into episode nine. And today, John, before we get started, I wanted to talk about something that we forgot to mention last week. A couple weeks ago, you flew into Chicago for work. Uh, my brother and I got a chance to drive in and see you for a little bit. And, you know, I'm not sure if I've said this yet or not, but, you know, I just wanted to say, man, it was really great to see you. And I'm really looking forward to uh, doing this again in October, man. And you know what? It was it was a blast. Um, for all those who don't know, Nick and I went to college together. We've been best friends for, ooh, hate to say it, what, over a decade now? 12, 13 years? Yeah, or it's, uh, yeah. It's creeping yeah, up there. About 12 years, yeah. And uh, we don't get to see each other a lot. It was real nice. I got to go to Chicago for work. We uh, got to go to dinner, introduced me to his side of town. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to doing this again in October. Yeah, for sure, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be a blast. But let's kick things off, man. Uh, get to some uh, current news that has happened over the last week or so. Um, Want to start it off with some sad news, actually. The death of former Vikings player. He was currently on the Cardinals when he passed. Jeff Gladney uh, was involved in a car accident over the past week. He was the thirty-first pick in the twenty twenty draft by the Vikings played a few seasons for us, and then went on to sign with the Cardinals when we did not pick up his fifth-year option. Uh, just wanted to send out my condolences to his family, uh, to the Vikings, the Cardinals family. Sad, sad to see. He was only 25 years old. Definitely something something you don't want to see. Uh, another another football, football death that came up recently actually happened, I believe, yesterday or day before. Uh, Marion Barber, former Cowboys and Bears running back, passed away. I want to that send out the condolences really to his family as well. That was very sad. Yeah, yeah, it was very sad. Um, he was, I believe, 38. And so, I yeah, mean, that's... It just goes to show you that, you know, even when you don't meet these people, how connected you feel in their lives with what they do for your sports teams. And um, Absolutely. I remember when Jeff Gladney was drafted to to the Vikings. I was really excited to watch his career take off. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it's you know, definitely something you don't want to see. Uh, but sticking with sticking with football... Ryan Fitzpatrick retired. We want to, I think I speak for everybody when sure? I say. Are we sure? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. He's not, he's not Tom Brady, but I'm, I'm pretty okay. sure he's retiring. And I think I speak for everybody when I say we want to thank you for the 17 years of football and all of the badass memes from your post-game interviews over the years. And let's just throw it out there. What a beard. What a beard to carry us for 17 years, man. What a beard. What a, what a personality. What a, what a collection of outfits that this man has and that we've gotten to enjoy. And since he is retiring, let's also shout out his alma mater. Shout out Harvard. Harvard had a journeyman quarterback make it in the NFL, helping a lot of teams. So shout out Harvard. You know, I have to, I have to admit, I don't think I knew that Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard. He did. He 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 was a Ivy League man and had. Uh, I, I think they did an interview one time. Real high IQ, very high IQ. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I don't believe I knew that. Moving moving along though, something else interesting that I found out over the weekend. LeBron James became a billionaire officially. Forbes has announced that he officially became a billionaire, and the reason I find that significant is because he's only the third NBA player ever to be considered a billionaire by Forbes. And he is the first player to do it while being active. Now, 
think about that a little bit. Michael Jordan did it after buying an NBA team. His net worth and value went up, obviously, because he was an owner of an NBA team. And the value of that team obviously went sky high. Kobe Bryant did it after retirement during different ventures. Um, so it's, I just found that kind of interesting that he was able to do it while still being a player. Just shows the smarts that he has off the court in business ventures and different ways of, you know, helping out, helping out his, his life off the court. And I won't take anything away from him because LeBron is such a smart businessman, um, has a high business uh, acumen. But I will say in today's world of social media and how you're able to market yourself, um, he's definitely taken advantage of that where I will say, I don't think that was available as much when Jordan was around. Absolutely. And, you know, I, maybe inflation has something to do with it. You know, the times when Kobe and Jordan did it, it was, you know, early, late nineties to early two thousands, you know, fast forward 20 something years that could have something to do with it as well. But I just found that pretty interesting. It's, you know, like I said, only the third NBA player ever to be considered a billionaire. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, one last thing, though, that I wanted to touch on that I found very interesting. There's some uh, fantasy football drama going on in Major League Baseball. <laughs> I saw which, that. Which I is, <laughs> is, <which> is <laughs> kind of interesting. Uh, I thought our league was intense. Yeah. Fam, uh, he plays for the, I believe, the Giants. He slapped Jack Peterson on the field in the pregame. Open-handed. Open-hand slap. Walked right up to him. Yep, straight up Chris rocked him right in the face. And all right, so here's here's how the story goes. So he he slapped Jack Peterson because apparently Jack Peterson put a player on his injured reserve list and then pick someone up off waivers. And apparently they had it, you know, usually that's not a problem, but apparently they had a rule for this specific thing that he did. And I guess he broke that rule. And funny thing, Mike Trout is actually, I don't know if you heard that Mike Trout's actually their commissioner. And apparently he did nothing to defuse the situation to help the situation. Did nothing about it as commissioner. Well, the now, man's also out there hitting home runs and everything too. So you know, give him, give him. A I break. agree, but as a as a fantasy football commissioner, that is a that is a high standard that you should be held to. And if you are elected commissioner of your league, that is something you should you should take to heart, and definitely something you should always make time for, especially if two people in your league are fighting over it. And then here's the thing: Fam actually quit the league right after this, in the middle of the season. Now. We're in the same fantasy football league. We've had this happen in our league before. It sucks. It's not something that you ever want to have happen. But this was something that he felt so strongly about that he quit the league right in the middle of the season and held the grudge for six months before slapping him. I mean, that I is, I feel like that's something that would happen in our league. I won't lie. Yeah. You're probably not wrong. <laughs> Personally, I don't know that. First of all, I don't think anything in fantasy football should ruin a friendship. Now, depending on who you're talking to, some might take it more seriously than others. Not saying we don't, we take it very seriously, but at the end of the day, it's all in good fun. You know, it's a group of friends. It's all in good fun. Now these two apparently felt different about it, but yeah, that's uh, that was something that, <laughs> that I, I got a good laugh about over the past uh, last couple of days. I've, well, I've had fun reading about that. 
I think the only piece of news I want to talk about, current news, is uh, my Lakers, shout out Laker Nation, finally hired a new coach, Darvin Ham. Darvin Ham, uh, yes, sir. That's uh, to say, I'm, that's I'm an interesting very, choice. I'm very excited about it. You know, I was expecting us to go with someone with some head coaching experience, maybe a former head coach. Um, if I'm being completely honest, I think he was brought in to put Russell Westbrook in check. I do. I think he has that kind of energy. He has that kind of uh, that acumen, and he's that well respected around the league. Yeah, it's going to be. It's definitely one of the toughest jobs in in all the sports to have. Um, he's going to have a a big. You know, he's going to have a lot on his plate here, and it's going to be interesting to see how he takes care of it and how he deals, like you said, with the Russell Westbrook situation. Um, I think they've already said that they don't plan on getting rid of him. They plan on keeping him. And, oh, no. You know, working through By it. bringing in Darvin Ham, that was the Lakers saying we're keeping Russell Westbrook, and we're going to bring in a coach that can keep him on a leash. Yeah, I heard I heard Draymond Green talking about him, and he had nothing but good things to say about him, and he was really excited for it. And no, you know, nobody knows the game better than the guys that are playing it right now and that are in the middle of it. So, you and know, for he's, on green to say something like that, if he, yeah, if he's speaking highly of somebody, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's saying something he did. He didn't have to come out and say anything about it. Uh, but the fact that he took the time out and on his show to come out and, and speak very highly of Darvin Ham, that's, that's, that says a lot. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. And I think Laker nation should be excited for it. Oh, we are. So what is on the agenda today, Nick? Today on the agenda, I think we should start off with uh, what happened just over the past weekend, um, and that was the lacrosse championships that we talked about last week. It kind of went the way that we predicted. Um, I do want to give do want to give you credit. You you pretty much predicted every game almost spot on. Something in each of the games you you predicted. So. I want to give you your want to give you your shout out there. Well, when you grow up with the game so long, it's hard not to see things your average watcher wouldn't. But um, let's just fast forward to the championship game, um, Cornell versus Maryland. Um, I think we both were a little surprised, not at the outcome, but how close the score was. Yes, uh, extremely, extremely close. Nine to seven final score. I predicted it was going to be eighteen to nine. Uh, you know, I was only off on the Cornell score by a couple. You actually predicted fourteen to seven, so you predicted perfectly the Maryland's opponent. We both actually chose Rutgers to win the semifinal game, so we were both wrong there. But you know, it was it was a great game in that semifinal matchup. And going back just for a second, the first semifinal matchup, you actually said that that game was going to be decided by four or five goals, and sounded pretty confident when you said that. That game ended up 13-8, the Maryland-Princeton game, which is exactly five goals. So props to you for calling that one. But yeah, 9-7, to seven, it, was, it was a good one. Cornell drew first blood. It looked like Maryland was going to run away with it for a little bit. They were up 4-1 to one after the first period, 5-1 to one after the second, or excuse me, early in the second. Cornell got one back pretty quickly right after that, made it 5-2. to two. But Maryland scored two more before halftime. They were up 7-2. to two. And then Maryland comes out of the half, scores two more within the first three minutes, and now they're up 9-2. to two. But they ended the game with nine, nine goals. So they didn't score again for the rest of the game. And, John, explain to everyone what exactly it was that Cornell did over the next 27 minutes of that game 
to hold Maryland scoreless and give them give excuse me give themselves a chance to win that game. The biggest thing was the clearing game. The the Big Red they scored three goals back to back, keeping that momentum. But what happened is Maryland could not clear the ball. In lacrosse, when the goalie saves, you have to take it across the midfield line, and we call it what we uh, call a ride on the defense. And Cornell's ride was intact. They couldn't. now is that similar to is that similar to like in a pickup basketball game? when you're playing two-on-two, three-on-three half court, where you have to clear it back behind the three-point line? Kind of, sort of. Kind of a similar rule? I would more describe it as as basketball. You have to get it across uh, the half court within 10 seconds. Okay, you're saying, so once the goalie clears it, you're saying from that point you have... They have 15 seconds to get it across to the offense. Okay, okay. And Maryland couldn't do it. Cornell was riding them hard, and a lot of... A lot of the reason Cornell came back was because they locked down on defense. Um, Maryland started off really, really hot in the first half. DeMayo was just an animal. Looked like they were going to run away with the thing, but Cornell locked up on defense, and that was the adjustments they made. Maryland had a lot of um, unassisted uh, fast break points, and Cornell decided to stop that. So that was the clearing game. That is what made it a little bit closer is Cornell would not let Maryland clear the ball. Yeah, and, you know, Cornell, they put up five straight goals over them last 27 minutes, and they made it a ball game. But, you know, Maryland, like we talked about last week, Maryland's experience, I think, helped them survive that game. Um, I think most teams, I think you can agree with this, I think most teams in the country probably would have lost that game if they were in Maryland's position. 100%. Momentum is a hell of a thing. Yeah, and just you know, like like we said, Maryland's top five, all seniors, all fifth year seniors are better. They had the experience, they had the talent, they came out on top, and and I think it was pretty clear from the beginning that Maryland was the favorite going in. Completed the completed the season um, undefeated, I believe it was. Correct me if I'm wrong. Eighteen and zero, nineteen and zero. Was eighteen and zero, and honestly, there's arguments for them going down as the best lacrosse team in history with the way they played. Um, the Cornell game is actually one of their closer games, and outside of that, uh, Maryland pretty much dominated from start to end that that uh, that entire season. Yeah, and if anybody hasn't, you know, if you don't have time to watch the whole game and you didn't get a chance to watch the game over the weekend, go back and watch the highlights from honestly from any of the games, and you know, tell me <laughs> tell me it wasn't exciting and fun to watch because that those games were those games were a lot of fun. They were a lot of fun. And moving on to the NHL playoffs, I don't know if anybody's been watching that, but man, we got some good ones going on and a little little bit of surprise going on over there in the NHL. But let's start off with the matchup that we talked about last week, the potential matchup that could pop up, and it did. Edmonton versus Colorado, Connor McDavid versus Nathan McKinnon. What a matchup this has been so far. Colorado's leading it 2 to nothing. They still are the favorite to win the cup. I'm predicting Colorado is going to finish it off in five, but not to take anything away from the two stars of this. Uh, but Connor McDavid, he had a goal in game one, but he's really only been limited to just two shots on goal over the in the first two games, each of the first two games, excuse me. And he only had two shots on goal one other time during these playoffs. Otherwise, he has been just firing the puck at the net, 
scoring goals, getting assists. Colorado's doing a great job of limiting him. Uh, Nathan I will McKinnon. Say this. In most championship, whether it's hockey, basketball, you always know the stars are going to show up. You always look for those X-factor people. But I'll tell you, in this matchup, it's been all stars. All the stars are showing up. All the stars are the ones putting their teams on their back to try to get this thing done. Absolutely. The goalies are playing well. The stars on the on the front lines are playing well. It's it It's been really good. And speaking of stars, Nathan McKinnon, a goal in each of the first two games. He added an assist in game one, three points over the first two games. He's playing well. I think most people predicted, myself included, that Connor McDavid was going to be the star of this matchup and Colorado's team was going to kind of take over and will them to win. But I think it's been kind of a combination. You know, it's been one and the other. Colorado's team's taking over this game. Nathan McKinnon's winning that matchup, and I think that's been surprising a lot of people. But like I said, I still think it's going to be Colorado in five. I think they're going to finish it off. Edmonton might get a game, you know, where Connor McDavid just goes crazy and has that that Steph Curry type game. And I, I don't think Edmonton's got what it takes though to come back and win that series. I the, agree with you. Um, this is probably the only thing we're going to agree on today. Maybe not. No, but, maybe uh, not. I, th- I think it's five. I think they do it in five. Yeah, yeah I think they do it. Uh, I agree. I think they do it in five. And the other game, game two is tonight. Uh, Rangers and Lightning. Rangers are leading it one to nothing. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I still think it's going to be Lightning and six. Uh, a little foreshadowing you know, for later on, but I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be Lightning and six, even though they lost game one. Tampa, I think, was just rusty. They had they had nine days off in between sweeping the last series and playing game one, where the Rangers were. They only had a couple days rest, and they were fresh coming in. So, so then maybe we, I was wrong. Maybe we will agree because before the game started, I actually had the lightning in five. And then after this game, I'm like, okay. So I agree. I think it's going to be lightning in six. Um, I, I think they're playing too well. Um, their goal scorers are on point. Goalies on point. Um, yeah, I got, I got lightning in six. Yeah. I, I had, I had lightning in six from the beginning, win or lose this game. And honestly, I just, I think it's because the Rangers, the Rangers are playing playing good hockey and I think they have what it takes to to win a couple games. They have uh they have what they call their kid line, which from what I've read, I think everybody agrees that they need a little better name for it. Um but they call it the kid line. It is consisted of Philippe and excuse me if I butcher these names if you're a huge hockey fan. Philippe Scheidel, Capo Caco, I believe is how that's pronounced, and Alexis Lafreniere. Uh, you're, they're you're doing it better than I could. They are 22, 21, and 20 years old, and they are playing extremely well. Chido has two goals. Lafreniere has two assists. Kako has an assist. So they got five points between them in that in that first game. Like that's they're just playing out of their minds. And again, only two of them are legal to even go out and celebrate and have a drink if they end up winning this thing. So. That's pretty interesting. They're gonna have to figure out what to do the three of them with uh, with the youngin. But you know, it's they're playing great, and you know, honestly, I think Tampa should get back on track tonight. They held the highest scoring team last series, the Florida Panthers, to just three goals in four games. And I look for their defense to pick it back up tonight. Like I said, they had nine days off. I think they're gonna shake that. The rust is shaken off, and I think they're gonna get back on track and finish it off in six games. Like I said, Rangers might catch another one that, uh, that young, that young line might get their might get their second wind at some point, but 
No, I agree with you. I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be lightning in six. But um I know you're very excited to talk about this next thing. Absolutely. The NBA finals. So excited that it got got started, you know, right around the time that we record. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to record the episode yesterday before the finals, but honestly, like we told you from the beginning, our opinions aren't gonna change. My opinion on this series is not changing. It is the same as it was before last game. It's going to stay the same now. Warriors-Celtics. Celtics Celtics are leading it 1-0 after last night. What a game. What an absolute game. That was amazing. I'm going to just put it out in the open right now. I was going to tell you yesterday and tell everybody yesterday, Warriors in six. Celtics, unfortunately, won that game, so it's going to make that a little tougher. But I'm still saying Warriors in six. Well, so I think it's actually going to make it to where I agree with you because I believe we talked and I had Warriors in five. thought the Celtics would steal one. After last night, I think it's going to go six. Um, but I still think it's going to be the Warriors. But just the three-point clinic that was put on last night between both teams. Yeah, what a game. If, if you guys missed it, Warriors were leading that game after three quarters. They had one of their famous Warriors playoff third-quarter runs. Um, but Boston outscored Golden State 40-16 to 16 in the fourth quarter. Golden State just went ice cold, ice cold. And I one of the most interesting parts of that fourth quarter, especially for me, was old Al Horford stepped up big in that game. He, did. he had he did. a game. I yeah, could not be, believe this be man honest, was hitting, I believe he had his career high in three-pointers, uh, regular I, season or playoffs. I was watching that game, and the Warriors just, like you said, they just kept going off. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be game. And little by little, every single every single minute, all of a sudden the Celtics got closer and closer and closer. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. I mean, Steph started off hot, 21 points in that first quarter. It was, I thought, yeah, I thought the Warriors, they were just going to run away with it. Boston, defensively, they do a great job of disrupting Golden State's offense, you know, and and one thing that we haven't even mentioned is the fact that Boston has the had the best defensive rating in the NBA during the regular season. You know, Golden State was right behind them at number two, you know, so not only is this a great matchup between two really good offenses, but this is also a really good defensive matchup as well. You know, both teams, they averaged about 111 points in the regular season. But the defense, the defense is really, really good on both sides, and I think that's surprising a lot of people. And I one, would agree with that, but I mean, I'll just be honest with you. The the three point clinic, and I believe there was some sort of record. You'll have to look that up for me. But there was a three point record set last night, I believe, for a finals game, and it was just ridiculous. I seen that. I believe it was uh, most most three pointers and a half in an NBA finals game. I believe they hit twenty or 21 in the first half between the two teams. Yeah, it was it was a great game. And, you know, for me, I really think that this series is a battle of, of size. And I say that because Boston has their, what they're calling their big lineup, which averages 6'7", 226 pounds. Uh, that is Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Robert Williams. And... That mat- that lineup is matching up with what the Warriors call their death lineup. Or I found this out actually earlier today. 
they also called the lineup PTSD. Uh, Pool, Steph, <laughs> Pool, Steph, like like Clay, that. and Draymond, um, or Clay Thompson. So the T. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, but they only averaged six five, two hundred five. So, and that's the difference between size wise. That's the difference between Zach Levine and Tobias Harris. For comparison, you know they. That's there's a pretty big difference in the two of those two two of those guys in their size and. I really think this is going to be a battle of which lineup comes out on top and can do better than the other lineup is as, as simple as that sounds. I think that's what it, that's basically what it comes down to. It's not hurting the warriors so much in the rebounding department, at least in game one, they were even on rebounds, 39, 39. I believe the warriors had more offensive rebounds, but where it's hurting the warriors is defensively, or I guess offensively. You know, the Celtics are getting in the passing lanes. They're contesting shots. They're able to stay in front of the Warriors. They're not only big, but they can all move pretty well. Al Horford, surprisingly, for being as old and as big as he is, he moves very well, and he can stay in front of their their post guys and I will who are say, a I lot faster was, than him. I, th- I will say I think it's the same thing we talked about with the Lightning Rangers game. I think Boston coming off of Game 7 – Warriors being a little bit rested, uh, Boston was feeling that momentum going in. Absolutely. That could be. That could be. And, you know, it wasn't the case for, for Jason Tatum, unfortunately. You know, he only had 12 points in game one, which I'm going to be honest, that probably won't happen again. He's probably no. going to score much more than that for the rest of the series. But at the same time, Derek White had 21, Al Horford had 26. That also probably won't happen again, especially during the same game. I would be very shocked if either one of them or if both of them had 20 plus points in the same game again. I just think the probability of that is very low. I don't see Boston doing this every game, which is why I'm sticking with the Warriors in in 6 games. You know, I think I think Boston's going to get one at home when they when they go to Boston. Obviously, I think Warriors will win game 2. I think the Warriors will make it 3 to 2 in game 5 at home. And then you know what that means? Game six, Clay. Game six, Clay is going to come out, and I think the Warriors. I think the Warriors take care of business. But yeah, I, I I kind of agree with you. I think they're gonna. You know, they got the rust shaken off a little bit, and Boston. Yeah, Boston was the. They were the fresher team, and they were ready to come out and come out and prove themselves. And man, I, what a game! Yeah, like you said earlier, what a game that was. That was exciting, and that's what that's what the NBA Finals is all about, right there. Two great teams battling it out until the final minutes. Can't get much better than that. And I believe that leads us into our next and final topic. And we've uh, we've been looking at this one for a minute. Yeah, this one this one was interesting. You know, in in honor of the NBA Finals starting up this week, uh, we decided to come up with our own ranking of our top three. NBA championship teams of all time. And I think a couple of them are going to surprise. I think we're going to surprise each other. I think we're going to surprise you guys. Uh, I know John, you know, you know, my basketball tastes a little better than most. I know for a fact that the first team that I list as my number three of all time is going to surprise you. All right. Well, let's get into it. Who is your number three? My number three team of all time number three championship team of all time is the 2013 2014 
San Antonio Spurs. Ooh. Uh, most people that know me know that I'm not a huge Tim Duncan fan, um, but this team went 62 and 20 during the regular season. Uh, not the greatest, not the worst by any means. 16 and 7 in the playoffs. Starting lineup was awesome. Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, a young Kawhi Leonard, Tim Duncan, Boris Diaw, who was pretty much their, their Draymond Green. He was their glue guy, kind of guarded everybody, played, played great defense, rebounded, got the garbage points. They had Danny Green, uh, Tiago Splitter off the bench, who gave them seven and six rebounds, shot 60% during the playoffs. Uh, Marco Bellinelli, who's a great three-point shooter, a young Patty Mills, who shot 40% from three during the playoffs. I love this team. I, I love this team. Uh, like I said, I've never been a Tim Duncan fan. His game is boring, really no personality. Always put up numbers, but just personally, I wasn't a fan. Uh, but I got to give, you know, got to give him his flowers here. Even at this point in his career, he was still a 15 and 10 per night guy. So there's so much this team had going for them, too. They were not only experienced, they were looking for revenge coming off their finals loss the year before to the Heat, who during this season were looking for their three-peat. So, you know, a team that's hell-bent on getting a three-peat, you know the Heat wanted that. And for the, for the Spurs to stop them 4-1 in that finals, you know, not only that, but Kawhi Leonard had his coming-out party during this finals. And we all know what Kawhi Leonard turned into. You add that to Parker Ginobili and the Tim Duncan core. This team, this team deserves deserves to be listed among one of the greatest championship teams ever. And personally, in my opinion, I think they are top three. So my one, um, and it's not going to be a popular opinion because they didn't end up winning the championship, but it's the 1982 Showtime Lakers. Now, I do know that they lost. But the way they did it, I have to give them credit. I mean, you're talking about Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, it was the Showtime era. Not to mention with a a, a Hall of Fame coach and Pat Riley. Um, for me, it was the way they did it. Um, I do think they should have ended up winning that matchup. I know they got swept by the Sixers. However... I'm putting them on the list just because of the way they did it to get to the finals. What? So hold on. So what year did you have that? Now you had the '82 Lakers. I did. So the '82 Lakers, they they didn't get swept. They actually won. They won the finals. Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking of the '81 Lakers. Yep, I am talking about the '82 Lakers. Okay, I was going to say yeah. They and my next question was going to be: We did a list of top NBA champions, and you chose a team that did not win the championship. I did. <laughs> I did, and here's why. So, it was, so so let me be clear. Did you have the 81 or the 82 Lakers? Which It was were, the 82. It was the 82. So you did have the champion Lakers. You did have a team that yeah, won a championship. Okay, okay. I Just wanted to be we're clear on, on that. Yep, we're on the same page. So what was your number two? So my number two was, and this shouldn't really be too much of a shock. Um, I think it was... To me, it was really only two teams that were one and two. I'm going to give myself away by giving you my number two here, but the 95-96 Bulls are my number two team. 72-10, and 15-3 in the playoffs. Their lineup was very, very nice. Ron Harper, Michael Jordan, 
Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Luke Longley at the five, Steve Kerr, sixth man of the year, Tony Kukoc off the bench. It was the first title of their second three-peat. You know, Jordan put up 30 in the playoffs that year. They lost to Shaq and the Magic the year before, actually got swept by the Magic. And I just, there was no way Jordan wasn't going to win a title after losing to Shaq. I'm sorry, I, I stand corrected. They lost to Shaq and the Magic the year before. They swept the Magic during this playoff run. So a year's difference, and they sweep the team that beat them the year before. They just ran through that playoffs, like I said, only losing three games. I think they only lost one in the finals that year. They're, there's not much to say. Everybody knows the, the Bulls during the mid to late 90s were one of the greatest dynasties ever, and I don't think it's any surprise. They're, I have them as my number two team of, of all time. So my number two is, I mean, and you could really take a pick from their three-peat at that point. I'm going to go with the 2000-2001 Los Angeles Lakers. You want to talk about a stacked lineup. I mean, Kobe Bryant, Derek Fisher, Ron Harper, and then let's not forget about the man himself, Big Shot Bob. Big Shot Bob. Big Shot Bob, Robert Horry, who always found himself in the right place at the right time. Everybody Um, loves Big Shot Bob, man. Everyone loves Big Shot Bob. That was, in my opinion, the start of the next era after the Bulls. Yeah, absolutely. They Once the Bulls dynasty kind of broke up, I, I agree. The Lakers started their dynasty, and that's one of those situations where if only we had, if only time would have would have been a little closer together there, like if only that Laker dynasty would have started a couple years earlier, you know, if only all those, you know, just take all those players and if only they were born a few years earlier and that timeline would have just matched up with that Bulls dynasty, I think that would have been one of the greatest matchups, you know, of all time, being that it was the games were played in the same era. It's not like mm-hmm. comparing the 80s Celtics versus the Heat or something, you know, during the mid 2000s, uh, mid 2010s. It that would have been. One of the greatest things ever. And yeah, unfortunately, those dynasties only missed each other by two or three years. What a matchup that would have been. Oh, it would have been great. It would have been I great. We've had several debates on going back and forth on which team would win. We have. We have. We've had several debates on that. And I think me being from from the Chicago area, you being a Lakers fan your whole life, I think it's pretty clear who each of us have chosen in those situations. Uh, but but I think we both can agree that would go to seven games. Absolutely, it would go to seven games, and we can both also agree that it would be one of the greatest matchups of all time. So who was your number one, Nick? Because I think we might have the same one. I think we do. I chose the... Now, we might have different years on which team specifically was better, um, but I chose the first of the... The, fir- the team during the first championship of this run, the 2016-2017 Golden State Warriors. I have the same year. Yeah, it was. Uh, they that team was unbelievable. They went 67 and 15, 16 and one in the playoffs. Like you know, only losing one game during a playoff run that is unbelievable, especially after winning 67 games. That is just unreal. 
Steph Curry. Now let's just not talk about the fact that they pretty much had the same roster from the year before and set a regular season record, which, let's be honest, that probably would have been the number one team had they actually won. Yeah, yeah, it could have been. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately they couldn't they couldn't close the deal on that one, but I think that adds to why this is the greatest finals or the greatest championship team ever. Not only did they have a lineup of Steph, Clay, Durant, Draymond Green, uh, Iguodala, Livingston, Verizhao off the bench. Uh, they they had that they had that fire from the year before of losing. And again, like with Jordan getting beat by the Magic the year before, I don't think there was any way this team was not going to win the finals. And my X factor for that team was Iguodala. You know, he, absolutely he never put up. He didn't put up the flashy points. He didn't put up the flashy stats. But he was an animal on defense, and he was always where he needed to be. He that that is the true definition of a player who knew his role in that championship team. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And you know, and it also didn't hurt that Steph and Kevin Durant in the playoffs each averaged over twenty eight points a game. You it's, know that that that's tough to stop when you have two guys that are basically averaging Jordan numbers, uh, but. I think the main thing with that team was everybody understood their role. Everybody on that team understood their role from, from Matt Barnes, who didn't play much in the playoffs, if at all. I don't, I don't even know. He played a little bit in the regular season. To his, you know, from his Udonis Haslam veteran-type role to, like you said, Iguodala being the third sixth man off the bench, you know, to, to Verjao coming in and playing defense and getting rebounds. Everybody knew what they were there to do. Draymond was the glue guy to it all. You had two of the greatest shooters of all time. In my opinion, I don't know. Other people have different opinions on that. I don't know how you can. Steph and Clay are two of the greatest shooters of all time, period. Uh, Plus you add Kevin Durant to that. That lineup's almost impossible to guard. And that's why they're my choice as the greatest NBA championship team ever. I can't disagree with you. Like I said, I, I, I knew we were going to have at least one that was the same. That was the one that I had. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, there was a lot of teams that, that we could have thrown in there that I thought about throwing in. Honestly, my, my third – personally, my third choice was I debated between the Spurs and one of the 80s Celtics teams. I'm a huge Larry Bird fan. That team, though, all those teams during the 80s were, were really good. You know, I really thought about picking one of those, but at the end of the day, it came down to I respect the fundamentals of basketball and I respect the the team aspect of it. And I felt like that Spurs team, love or hate Tim Duncan, he was Mr. Fundamental. And that team just they took a slight edge for me, especially the fact that Kawhi Leonard had that coming out party during those playoffs. Well, hey, you know I'm a fan of Tim Duncan, so I wasn't mad at you for that choice. Yeah, but I bet you were surprised, though. I was. I bet you were surprised to hear Tim Duncan and the Spurs come out of my mouth as one of my favorites or one of my choices. That that threw me for a loop. (laughs) I usually kind of know where you're going with things. That is one of those ones I had no clue. So, So let me ask you this. We both agree on the Warriors as number one. You had the Lakers as number two. I had the Bulls as number two. Let's start with your Lakers, 2016-2017 Warriors versus, you said it was a 99-2000 or 2000-2001? 2000-2001. 2000-2001 Lakers. Who wins in a seven-game series, and how many games does it go? Man. 
Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Give me your opinion. Lakers versus people know. Lakers versus Warriors. 01 Lakers versus the 2017 Warriors. I'm going to be honest with you. This is going to shock you. I'm taking the Warriors. Okay. I I think their shooting was too lethal. I think the Lakers played a different time from a different era. And as much as I love Kobe to will them to a championship, I think they just had too much firepower. Honestly, I think that series, that series would be difficult because you have Steph and Kevin Durant who both averaged 28 during the playoffs and you have Kobe and Shaq, who both are probably going to average about 28. I don't know what their specific numbers were that year, but you have both of those guys who are probably going to average close to 28 in the playoffs. So yes, while Shaq's probably going to dominate those games, the average is still going to come out to about the same. Those two pairs are going to cancel each other out. What are you going to do with Clay Thompson and, and guys like Iguodala and, and Sean Livingston? And that was, and those are my X factors because I don't think the Lakers had anything for them. I don't. As much as I love them, I don't think they had anything for them on defense from that perspective. Yeah, it's uh, that. I think we can again. We can both agree that that's going to be or that would be a great series and an absolute 100%. awesome series. I think, I think it would still go seven number, games. I think that would come in at number two verse instead of the Lakers versus Bulls series. Well, that I'm glad you brought up the Bulls. What? Who do you think? Let's let's take my number two and and I guess our number one, the twenty seventeen Warriors versus the ninety six Bulls. You'd have Steph against Ron Harper, MJ versus Clay, Pippen versus so, Durant, Rodman me, versus Draymond. I still got to go with the Bulls. I think their defense was a lot better than the Lakers' defense from that year. Um, and you've got Michael Jordan. That's um, so that, that that's just interesting that you pick the Bulls to beat the Warriors, but yet we both have the Warriors as the greatest team. And that's just, I'm surprised by that, but I'm not surprised by that because that's that's something I would do as well. I think a team can be better than another team, but if you match them up, you know, that number two team might come out on top. And in this case, in this case, I disagree with you. I still think the Warriors would take it. I still think it would go seven games. This would be... Michael Jordan's first game seven ever. And I just don't think, I don't think you can guard the trio of Steph Clay and Kevin Durant. I mean, I think you also have to take size in consideration. I think the Bulls were a lot bigger. So I don't think some of the shots that the Warriors would have gotten are, are coming as easy against that. They Bulls were, team. but I don't think they were that much bigger, though. Yes, Ron Harper's bigger than Steph, but. Steph's quickness and shooting ability cancels out the size of any point guard that's going to guard him, in my opinion. You know, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I don't think, you know, Ron Harper could be three I mean, inches bigger than Steph's what he is. He could be Magic Johnson size, saying, and I don't think it's going to matter. I'm not saying Ron Harper can, will guard Steph. That, that's not what no, I'm that's saying. Not what I'm, no, I'm not saying that either, that he can or can't. I'm saying that his size, I don't believe, is going to affect what Steph Curry would do. Maybe not in that, in that matchup. particular matchup, but I think the size of the rest of the Bulls team does affect what Clay Thompson does, what Draymond Green does, what Iguodala Well, Dalla let's does. look at it. You know, Clay Thompson, he's pretty big. I think Clay Thompson's six six. Michael Jordan was six six. So height wise, they're not too much different. 
Michael Jordan at this point in his career compared to Clay. Player of the year. Yeah. Well, not only that, but I'm saying the size of his body, he was a lot stronger than Clay ever is or ever was. Yes. Um, so yeah, he's going to have that advantage there. And then however you slice Pippen and Rodman versus Durant and Draymond, Draymond might only be six, six, but he's Draymond's a big boy. And Kevin Durant's like six ten, six eleven, damn near seven foot. Size, I don't think at the end of the day is going to affect it as much. Even with Luke Longley coming in at six eleven, seven foot, seven one, whatever he was, I don't think that's going to matter as much. the The Warriors still had Verjao and I believe Javale McGee coming off the bench as a big man. So the size, I don't think, would matter. But man, would that be a hell of a matchup, though? Um, just be a fun matchup in general to watch that series. So. Yeah, I think I think the I do agree though. I think the Lakers matchup would match up better with the ninety five ninety six Bulls than the twenty sixteen seventeen Warriors. In my opinion, unless you have three All NBA defensive players on your team, I don't know that they could match up. The Bulls had two in Jordan and Pippen. It would be tough. That would be that would be a great series. I'm still staying with it though and saying Warriors take that in seven games and Jordan would lose his first finals matchup ever. Hot take of the day. Hot take of the day. We're going to end it on the hot take of the day. We're going to end it on the hot take of the day. Um, I like it. I like it. That was a fun one. Uh, I always enjoy doing those rankings. You know, a lot of people, they say, oh, I'm not, I'm not a rankings guy. I'm not a rankings guy. I don't like to rank, rank teams. And it's all in fun. Um, we're not going to get super heated about it. You know, it's not, it's not something serious. It's never going to happen at the end of the day when you compare legacies and legends like that. It's always fun to think about what if Michael Jordan played the Warriors during their, during their championship dynasty run. It's always fun to think about that. It's always fun to think about Kobe and Jordan in their prime facing each other. You know, it's not going to be the last ranking that we do. We're definitely going to be doing those throughout, throughout the different episodes uh, with fantasy football and other sports, things like that. Hell, we'll probably come up with some random ones, you know, at times. And, yeah, just have some fun with it. If you guys got any ideas, let us know. Give us give us some some thoughts and ideas on what we could do next, and maybe we'll do, do your ranking that you come up with. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. Appreciate you guys giving us a listen once again. My name's Jonathan, and I'm the Ebony. And my name's Nick, and I'm the Ivory. Have a good day.